What is up, hockey fans? This is the Golden Edge Podcast, the podcast where the Las Vegas Review Journal talks about off-season hockey because we are kind of uh, in the middle of the, I guess, you know, weird off time of the NHL calendar. The free agency has petered out. Uh, rookie camp and training camp are still like a month-ish away. So we're figuring out stuff to talk about, but we do have actually a lot to talk about today that I'm kind of excited about. I am, of course, I'm Ben Goats, one of your Review Journal beat writers. Joining me on the other line is my colleague Dave Shane, back from vacation. Dave, how you feeling? Well, refreshed. Uh, I feel like I could probably use another uh, another week of vacation, to be quite honest. But you know, that's all right. We're still uh, still enjoying the summer. Like you said, we got some time, so you know. Yeah, the key is just for you to be ready next week because that's when I'm on vacation. So I at least need you to be locked in by then. But you, you still got some time. You can you can ease back into things. Yeah, there's nothing going on. We'll be fine. <laughs> of course, as soon as we say that, that's when everything will happen. So exactly. there are some things going on that we're going to talk about. Um, just give you guys a little preview. The bulk of this episode is going to be spent uh, going as we do every year uh, around the NHL and like. 30-ish minutes we always go over and we're definitely going to go over uh, this year because we have some topics that I want to hit on uh, before we get to that main part of our episode. One of them being Dave is going to have his top 10 nights prospect list come out uh, any day now. And so I want to give a quick preview of that. But before we get to everything, I want to remind everyone that the Golden Edge podcast is brought to you by the Las Vegas Review Journal. Make sure to check out all our written work at reviewjournal.com because uh, even as I talked about, it's not exactly the you know fast time of the offseason. We've still actually put out a lot of content recently. Also, we are presented by Blue Wire. And of course, if you guys could uh, rate, review, subscribe, whatever you do podcast due to this one, that would be very much appreciated. Um, so before we get to the prospects and kind of our look around the NHL, I do think one thing we have to touch on uh, is the fact that uh, – Yesterday, we're recording this on Tuesday, August uh, 17th. So, Monday, August 16th, Nevada Governor Steve Sisolak announced that large venues can get out of the state's uh, current indoor mask mandate if they require proof of vaccination to get in. Uh, In other words, if everyone that attends your kind of large event, which I believe is uh, defined as like more than 4,000 people, uh, is vaccinated, No one has to wear masks for the most part. Now, uh, partially vaccinated people, you know, if you've only gotten one shot of Pfizer or Moderna are still allowed in, but they have to still wear masks uh, at the venue. And then people who can't get the vaccine, like children 12 or under, are still allowed to go. Uh, They just have to wear masks uh, as well. So almost immediately, the Raiders announced that they're basically going to take Steve Sislek up on his offer, basically, and they're going to require proof of vaccinations to attend games this year. So they don't have to, you know, try to police whether 60,000 people plus uh, in Allegiant Stadium are wearing masks. Uh, They're also going to be giving out vaccines outside the stadium. So you can basically, you know, if you're unvaccinated, get your shot in the parking lot and still go to the game, you know, as long as, you know, you wear a mask because you'll just be partially vaccinated at that point. Uh, I say all that to just say that that's something uh, if Knights fans are listening to kind of keep on the radar. The Knights haven't, you know, announced if they're going to follow suit yet. Uh, they basically said in 
you know, a statement that the team provided today that they're going to, you know, continue to follow the recommendations from local health officials, uh, the NHL and the CDC, and that if they do make any, you know, big adjustments to their kind of fan T-Mobile arena policies, they will let everyone know and they haven't done that yet. They have a while to kind of work through it too, because their first home preseason game uh, isn't until September 26th and the first regular season game, which of course is against the Seattle Kraken, uh, isn't until October 12th. So like I said, about, you know, a little bit more than a month uh, for the preseason opener, almost two months until the regular season opener. Uh, but how much, if at all, Dave, do you expect the announcement yesterday to, you know, enter the night's thinking as they're planning out what attending games at T-Mobile Arena is going to look like next year? I mean, honestly, I don't know. I don't know how much the thinking figures into it. It just seems like at this point, it's just the way everybody's going. Uh, I don't think the Knights, if they were to, you know, feel like they were to require that they'd be hanging out on a limb on their own or anything. Like, you know, the Raiders have already set a precedent. We've seen other businesses, other teams, you know, around the NHL or, you know, I mean, it seems to be the way that it's going. So I think if, you know, Governor Sisolak's comments yesterday kind of opened the door for that. Um, you know, then, yeah, maybe maybe it has that effect. But I, I just think everything's kind of seems to be going this way. And, you know, I don't know. I, 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 I try not to get too – I try not to waste too much of my bandwidth on it, to be quite honest, because it's just tiring to hear all of the politics that comes with it. And I just want to watch games and I just want to get – back to normal and if that's you know the requirement and i always think about the you know the fast times at ridgemont high when like jeff spicoli walks in without a shirt and they're like you know they point to the sign you know no shirt no service like i don't know like i kind of the same thing to me like at some point it's just it's just the way it's gonna go so if people aren't on board with it then i guess they're just gonna be watching you know night's games from their couch on tv yeah, we'll have to uh, see if that's ultimately what happens. As you said, it's there are other kind of you know similar requirements being doled out besides the the Raiders, the Winnipeg Jets, and the Toronto Maple Leafs have both said they're going to require proof of vaccination to attend games this year. Uh, CES, you know, the big convention that comes uh, to town basically every year except for last year, said they're going to require proof of vaccination for people to come. So that definitely is you know has been a trend in the last couple days of teams are, you know, announcing that this is how it's going to be this upcoming year. We'll see if even more join in and whether the Knights are uh, going to be a part of it, but we at least wanted to throw that on the radar for now. Real quick too. I, I do, I, it should be pointed out that there's some, there's just some issues in Canada right now where there you have, to, it's just going to be a requirement going across the border, traveling, everything like that too. You know, so, I mean, if these teams are going to be playing, you know, the Knights are going to be playing Vancouver, Edmonton, Calgary, and all these other teams and, you know, whatever, like at some point, you know, players and and everybody else are going to have to, you know, follow along. And, and, you know, if they are, then it's just only natural that the fans are going to be expected to be asked to do that too. No, totally. Like I said, we'll see how it all shakes out. Yeah, as Dave's alluded to, there's been uh, definitely some rumblings that the league is going to have uh, some stricter vaccine protocols entering this next year. I mean, we've seen the NFL has, you know, pretty strict rules for unvaccinated players. Have you been following Raiders 
camp at all or just NFL camp in general. There's definitely some rumors that the NHL might be following suit a little bit this upcoming season, but nothing has been made uh, official yet. Just a lot of stuff to uh, keep uh, your eye on and a lot of, you know, balls that are still kind of, uh, you know, in the air and being tossed around and debated heading into uh, what will be another uh, very still unique season for the NHL, even though a lot of things are getting back to normal. Uh, Speaking of normal, uh, we've got Dave's annual prospect list coming out where he ranks uh, the night's top 10 prospects. I believe it'll be out uh, tomorrow, Wednesday, as we're recording this. But who knows? Just make sure to check back to uh, ReviewJournal.com. Dave does a great job on this every year, obviously, like laying out, you know, all the uh, night's up-and-coming players. You got comments from General Manager Kelly McCrimmon uh, this year. And you noted how each prospect's ranking uh, differed from last year because there have been, of course, some changes with the fact that, you know, a guy like Dylan Coughlin has now graduated because he, you know, exceeded the rookie limits last year because he got into enough games tonight. Meanwhile, the team, you know, had several draft picks come to the organization, so some new blood came in. Uh, I don't want to just, you know, spoil the entire top 10 over, uh, you know, the podcast, Dave, because I do want people to check out, once again, at ReviewJournal.com. But, you know, when you kind of reviewed the year that all these prospects had, did anything uh, surprise you or jump out at you when you were putting together this year's list? I mean, I don't know about surprised or jumped out, but I do think, you know, it, when readers look at it, there, the, I think there was an adjustment that I made on my part and, you know, kind of looking at things in terms of the guys who were maybe AHL um, prospects last year and, and what they did. And certainly, you know, I'm referring to guys specifically like Jack Dugan, uh, Lucas Elvinus, who had good seasons. But I think, I think you kind of have to adjust, you know, maybe where they are after that, you know, AHL season, at least in terms of Jack Dugan, his first year. And then, you know, Lucas Elvin is his second full season in, in the AHL. And just more so where they are, you know, in the, in the organizational depth chart. You know, guys that I think last year you thought may or I may have thought, you know, with those rankings – that, that would have been knocking on the door a little bit closer. And, and now it seems, you know, even after that year, you know, I think Jack Dugan will get a long look in training camp this year. But I don't I don't think with the depth that they have up front that you can really, really, really say that those guys, you know, I guess kind of automatically put themselves, you know, into the roster mix or anything like that. They still feel like they're, you know, probably going to start at the AHL, AHL level and have to play their way up. So I think the rankings – you know, were reflected in that. And I think, you know, there, there's one guy, I think Lucas Cormier, I, I think his his rise certainly is reflected in the rankings. And, and then the other one, you know, to be quite honest, that we, that we needed to talk about or, or needed to be included is Logan Thompson. And I, I still think the jury is out on him, you know, a little bit and obviously had a great year last year and all the accolades that came with it. But, you know, he's basically played – 25 plus, you know, AHL games throughout his career against, you know, essentially the same five teams. Uh, he's got a lot still to prove and, and, you know, a long ways to go. But certainly last year was a huge step, you know, in his development. And, and he's a guy that I, I certainly think needed to, you know, be reflected that way in the, uh, in the top 10 with the Knights prospects. Yeah, just a quick refresher for uh, those who don't quite recognize those names, uh, Lucas Cormier, who Dave just referenced, was the Knights' uh, third-round pick, uh, not in this year's draft, but the previous year's draft, uh, 2020. They actually, I believe, 
took him with one of the picks they got for Nikita Gusev. Um, he's a 19-year-old left-shot defenseman. He's a little bit on the shorter side, but he had just a tremendous uh, offensive year uh, in junior hockey, uh, 54 points in uh, 39 games uh, in the uh, Quebec Major Junior League uh, for the Charlottetown Islanders. So he's definitely a guy to keep on your radar this year, especially because, uh, as Dave mentions in his story, uh, he's probably going to have a real good shot to make Canada's World Junior team. Uh, which would uh, certainly give him a elevated platform to kind of show what he's got. And obviously, I think people know Logan Thompson. I mean, AHL goalie of the year uh, appeared in a Knights game uh, as a backup uh, briefly against Minnesota. I mean, a guy that's come from, you know, U Sports, which is like the Canadian, uh, you know, I would say equivalent of the NCAA, but less, uh, you know, exciting or followed or whatever. Like just very few people come from the level he was at in terms of playing Canadian college hockey and make it to the NHL just in general. If you are any sort of uh, prospect at any point in Canada, you're playing for a major junior team, not a college team. So his rise is uh, certainly just crazy and obviously a testament to him and his worth ethic. Uh, As Dave said, still 24, but obviously still kind of, getting his pro legs under him at least a little bit, but I think he's, you know, pretty safely penciled in as number three on the organizational depth chart. Now, Dave kind of surpassing Oscar Dansk. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, obviously Oscar Dansk went off to the KHL and, you know, you would figure going into the season, unless there's some, you know, kind of change in the next, you know, month or whatever roster wise that Logan Thompson would, you know, get the first nod with the silver Knights in uh, many Viveros. And, and if there's anything to happen, you know, with Robin Leonard and Laurent Brossois at the NHL level, that, that Logan Thompson would probably be the first guy to uh, to get called up. So, again, you know, I, I just felt like the stage that he's at in his development that he needed to be, you know, reflected, you know, in that top 10 list. And, and I think, you know, again, there's some questions, but he's certainly worked his way up. And, and he's a guy I think that there's a lot of intrigue and, and interest about now. Yeah, as a reminder, check out Dave's full top 10 list at ReviewJournal.com uh, at some point after we post this, hopefully soon. That way you'll see who all the top 10 guys are and you'll see guys that you obviously now already know that are on that list uh, in Lucas Cormier, Logan Thompson. You'll see where they kind of rank in the overall organizational uh, pecking order in Dave's eyes right now. Uh, all right. Well, now we're going to switch gears into the main event is our NHL preview uh, of every team so far, because for the most part, uh, teams are kind of done roster building at this point. There are still a couple teams that might make some pretty uh, significant changes and we'll get to those. Uh, one of them it's going to go pretty early on because we're going to go in alphabetical order um, and we'll Try to go a little bit season preview with all these things too. Luckily, I uh, just got some odds delivered into our email from uh, Bet Online that has all the kind of division and conference odds as to how you know each team is projected to do. So that'll help guide the discussion a little bit as well. But uh, I don't know, Dave. I'm always excited to do this. Are you ready? Yeah, fire away. All right. Like I said, as I mentioned, we are going in alphabetical order, so that means we get to start. With uh, one of the nice division opponents, the Anaheim Ducks. And I look at this team, Dave, they had the second worst points percentage in the league last year. Scored the fewest goals per game. 
And really looking at their roster, they don't look a heck of a lot different than they looked last year. They've obviously got some exciting young guys coming up like Trevor Zegris, um, Jamie Drysdale last year. But uh, at one point, are the Ducks going to try to win again? Yeah, probably not for a couple of years, to be quite honest. I mean, it's pretty obvious that they're going through the rebuild. You know, they held on to that number three pick, took Mason McTavish and, you know, trying to get stronger down the middle for for the future. Obviously, I think a guy like him and, and Zegers, that's a, that's a good starting point. You know, you look, we'll talk about the Kings and, you know, across Southern California. And, you know, certainly I think that's probably a, a model that they're going to try to emulate, you know, use all your uh, your draft picks well you know, accumulate, you know, as much talent as you can and and do it that way. Yeah, I think it's uh, no surprise that the Ducks have the lowest odds or the, I guess, the highest odds uh, to win the Pacific uh, Division. They're not expected to uh, do much next year. Another team not expected to do much next year, the Arizona Coyotes. Uh, Their offseason, I thought, was fascinating because they did do a lot. Uh, They added a first-round pick in the draft. They got four second-round picks for next year, which is crazy uh, and they shed a pretty bad contract in defenseman Oliver Ekman Larson uh, to do that they took on a bunch of other teams cap problems because in the flat salary cap world a bunch of teams were looking to dump money uh, they did also give up promising forward Connor Garland who I think flashed every time uh, they played the Knights and they basically I would say waved the white flag on competing this year and maybe for years to come uh, what do you think about kind of uh, the unique way that uh, general manager Bill Armstrong went about kickstarting uh, this rebuild, Dave. I mean, I think that's the way you do it. I know there was a lot of criticism, and certainly we joked a lot about this. It was like they seem to be doing what Seattle should have done, and you know, weaponizing their cap space and doing all that. So, you know, I like it. And this is the other thing too, real quick about it. I like that they didn't go for draft picks in the 2021 draft when nobody could scout, and there was a whole lot of mystery about these players. They went for 2022 and 2023, which if they happen to hit on something in the lottery, you know, you get lucky. You're talking about maybe getting a swing at Shane Wright or, you know, uh, Matthew Savoy, uh, Brad Lambert from Finland, you know, in 2022. You're talking about, you know, Matvey Mitchuk uh, from Russia in 2023, along with Connor Bedard. Like, you know, that's the way to do it. Take your lottery, you know your lottery tickets and, and go for the big one. Anaheim and Arizona are, are tied for the uh, worst odds to win the Western Conference next year, according to Bet Online. Not a surprise. Next up, Boston Bruins. Uh, busy offseason. They brought back Taylor Hall on a pretty reasonable contract. Got uh, forward Nick Foligno, added ex-Knights, Tomas Nosek, and Eric Halla. Brought in goaltender uh, Linus Olmark because Tuka Rask, who's been their number one guy for a long time, had hip surgery and won't be ready until uh, January or February. Also, David Krejci, who'd kind of been there like stalwart number two center behind Patrice Bergeron, is returning to play in his native Czech Republic, which I think the Bruins were kind of a sneaky cup contender this year, Dave. But without Krejci, I feel like they're kind of where they were these past couple years, which they have been a second round exit where they're like a good but not exceptionally great team. It's my read off on that right now. No, I think I think it's about on. I feel like they're feel like they're in line to take a step back. I don't know if it's because I just don't trust Olmark at this point, and or it feels like they have a hole at number two center. And as much as Taylor Hall, you know, coming back could could help them, you wonder who's going to skate with him, who's going to play with him, and who's going to you know who's going to set him up. I feel like their off season would have been looked at 
a lot differently if they kept Krejci, but they're still expected to obviously be a playoff team again next year. Uh, next up, the Buffalo Sabres. Speaking of teams with unfinished business, uh, they obviously had the number one pick last year and are going to fight Arizona for next year's number one overall pick. But the key question, uh, they have a captain in Jack Eichel who's not happy, clearly wants out, but is still a Buffalo Saber as of this recording. What is going to happen with this situation, Dave? Because it has gone on, I think, way longer than anyone expected. Yeah, I guess so long that even uh, one of the podcasts in New York took out a uh, a billboard near uh, Key Arena or Key Bank Arena in uh, in Buffalo. Kind of, <laughs> I don't know if you've seen it, but it, it's got the old Buffalo like Sabres logo with like the little blonde kind of curly hair of of Jack Eichel, kind of saying, you know, like how. Uh, I don't remember what it was. It's something about like asking for a pain is such a tra- uh, pain in the neck or like arranging a trade is like pain in the neck. Oh, this is beautiful. Our trade requests a pain in the neck. Hashtag free Jack. Yeah. So, I mean, I think at this point, everybody's just kind of like, you know, tapping their foot, you know, kind of t- tapping their arm with their, you know, crossed across their, their midsection, like waiting for something to happen. I mean, obviously like Buffalo is not going to be very good next year. Uh, but you know, the mystery is what's going to happen to Eichel. Is he going to, you know, end up with the Rangers? Could he possibly, you know, end up back in Vegas if Kelly McCrimmon and, you know, George McPhee and that front office decide to, to, you know, re-enter or stay in the race, whatever situation they're in right now. So it's funny for a team as bad as Buffalo, there's, there's certainly a lot of intrigue and a lot of interest going on around them. That is totally for sure. Next up is Calgary Flames. Uh, not a good year for them last year. Uh, they brought in Coach Daryl Sutter midseason, missed the playoffs. Captain Mark Giordano is gone. He's a Seattle Kraken. They did bring in cup champion Blake Coleman. Uh, my question is, looking at this team, are they you know complete enough to compete in the Pacific Division next year? Because I'm not so totally sold on that. Yeah, I think it depends on how much they buy into or take on the personality of Daryl Sutter. And whether they buy into playing that way or if they're going to kind of fall back on, you know, some of their old personalities and, and old playing styles, it, it, it just what, what feels right now when I watch them is it just doesn't feel like they've got Daryl Sutter players there right now. So we'll see how much buy in there is and then whether they're able to, to execute what he wants them to do. Yeah, Sutter, of course, uh, won a couple Stanley Cups with the Kings. Definitely a guy that likes to win a lot of two on hockey games. We'll see if the Flames can do that uh, next year. Uh, after them is the Carolina Hurricanes, who also had a fascinating summer. Uh, they let Dougie Hamilton, who's a great offensive defenseman, probably number one for Asian on the market, uh, walk. And then they swapped out both their goalies, uh, Alex Nadelkovich, who was third in the Calder voting last year, and Peter Morazic uh, for Freddie Anderson, who was kind of up and down in Toronto, and Auntie Ranta, who's a goalie who's uh, very good when he's healthy, He's just not healthy that often. Uh, this is a lot of changes for a goaltending tandem that was pretty good last year, finished third in team save percentage. Uh, not something you see often from a team that should be competing for a Stanley Cup. So uh, what do you think of the goaltending bet that the Hurricanes are making next year, Dave? I mean, maybe that's just an assumption on my part, but I read a lot into this. Of You know, there's there's been a lot of criticism, criticism even going back to like the Sebastian Ajo Ahua offer sheet that Montreal made, you know, that that Carolina wasn't willing to spend money, that they were essentially a cheap organization. Um, I 
kind of feel like this reflects a lot of that. It just doesn't feel like they were willing to make a commitment to Nadelkovic. They weren't willing to, you know, pay him the three million that Detroit was. Um, you know, Freddie Anderson has been a decent regular season goaltender, but unproven in the playoffs, and just feels like for a team that's that close that they could have been really aggressive on the goaltending market and weren't. And it just sort of feels like they weren't willing to open up the pocketbook. And, and that's why they, you know, ended up where they ended up. And, you know, we'll see. Maybe maybe Freddie Anderson is good enough. But I, in my opinion, he's not. Yeah, I have definite question marks about the direction they chose. Uh, next up is Chicago. We've talked about them quite a bit because they, of course, landed Marc-Andre Fleury. But in addition to him, they added defenseman Seth Jones, uh, center Tyler Johnson. Uh, plus, they might get center Jonathan Taze back after health issues forced him to miss last year. Uh, this was a team that was 20th in points percentage last season. But did they improve enough to potentially crack the playoffs in a difficult central division, Dave? I mean, I got to go back through and remember who's in the central division, to be quite honest. I mean, you're talking obviously like Colorado. You know, you figure Winnipeg might be pretty solid. Um, St. Louis is going to be in there. Minnesota's, you know, as long as the Caprizov stuff gets sorted out, you figure that'll be pretty solid. So, like, you know, certainly that's a deep division. There's there's some teams that Chicago would have to jump over. But with all the moves and, and everything that Stan Bowman did and the commitment that they, they seem to have made this year, I mean, I, I certainly think they would be disappointed. And there would be some probably some effect next season if they don't make the playoffs. All of their All of their moves – you know, we're, we're with that intention and, and pointed to that. So I, I think that's the goal. And, you know, I think if Marc-Andre Fleury plays anything close to the way he played last year, that they should be in the playoffs. Yeah. Yeah, they're definitely a bubble team, but they've definitely got a shot uh, to crack it. Uh, Colorado is the next team. Uh, cap issues kind of forced them to reset at least a little bit. They brought back Captain Gabriel Landeskog, kept stud defenseman Kale McCarr, but they did lose. Uh, forwards Brandon Saad, Eunice Donskoy, uh, defenseman Ryan Graves, and goaltender Philip Grubauer, who was a uh, Vesna finalist last season. Uh, they did add a new number one goalie in Darcy Kemper, who they got in a trade with uh, Arizona. And they've got some young guys that the Knights kind of saw uh, in the playoffs last year that could take on some elevated roles. Uh, with all their uh, departures, Dave, uh, is, are the Avalanche still kind of you know in the top class of Stanley Cup contenders or are you expecting any sort of step back from them? I mean, I still think anytime you've got, you know, Nathan McCannon and McCarr and the defense that they have and, you know, the trajectory that they've been on as a team, I, I mean, I, I certainly think they're going to be there. But, you know, for all of the praise that we've handed out in the last couple of years to Joe Sackick for the moves that he made, and, you know, obviously, you know, being able to get Landis Scott back and get McCarr signed, like, I don't like the way that they handled the goaltending situation at all. I, it puzzles me that they couldn't find the money to re-sign Grubauer. I mean, I think it was five point nine something. It was it was short of six million. I know that's a pretty good, you know, chunk of change. But considering what they gave up for Darcy Kemper, and uh, you know, I don't know. Maybe this is just me, but I'm I'm really not a huge Kemper guy. I think he's been a, a solid regular season goaltender when he's healthy, but he's had some injury questions, and I just don't think he's proven enough in the playoffs for Colorado to, you know, feel like, okay, this is the guy that can get us over the hump. I, I really felt like that was an area that they, they were another team that could have been aggressive or, or just done some things differently in the goaltending market. Yeah, definitely a, a risky kind of decision 
that they made. But according to BetOnline, uh, the Avalanche are still the favorites in the Central Division and to win the Western Conference uh, over the Golden Knights, who are in second place there. Uh, next up, Columbus, uh, another team that kind of steered fully into a rebuild because they traded uh, Seth Jones to Chicago. They made three picks in the first round this year, so there's kind of no question about you know what kind of timeline they're going for now. But obviously, they've got a big existential question to answer, Dave, which is uh, a lot of their good players keep leaving. So, uh, you know, how much uh, hope are you feeling that right now if you're a Columbus uh, Blue Jackets fan that these uh, next wave of prospects that they're going to try to bring up are going to be the ones that stick around? I mean, I kind of think that's the way you have to do it in a market like that. You're not going to be able to rely on free agents and you're going to kind of always probably run into the you know, problem where, you know, maybe one guy, multiple guys, when it comes, you know, contract time that they're going to say, I don't want to resign here long term. It's unfortunate, you know, reality of the market, unless you're winning and unless you're winning big and, you know, unless you bring guys through that system that develop a loyalty and develop, you know, maybe a relationship with the community and things like that and want to stay. I, it's hard to like bring guys in from a trade and develop that. It's it's much easier, I think, to develop it organically when you have, you know, guys that you're bringing through your system, guys that you draft. So the fact that they had three this year, the fact that they kind of you know hit the reset button that way, uh, again, sort of similar to Arizona. Uh, maybe it's just my philosophy and belief system, but I think that's how that particular organization and franchise should and and could go about, you know, doing a rebuild. Next, we're going to talk about the uh, Dallas Stars who missed the playoffs last year after, of course, beating the Knights in the uh, Western Conference Final in 2020. Then they lost to the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning in the Stanley Cup Final. So you could say, on one hand, that's obviously disappointing for the Stars. Uh, on the other, Dallas dealt with a uh, COVID outbreak that delayed the start of its season. Uh, it had the Texas Winter Storms that forced them to postpone some games. And they had a lot of injuries, especially to some key guys like Tyler Sagan who only played a handful of regular season games last year. Uh, Alexander Radulov was hurt. I mean, Ben Bishop didn't play at all, and there's some question about whether he's coming back at all. And still, a lot of things went wrong for the Dallas Stars uh, last season. Uh, are you expecting a rebound from them at all, Dave? Or do you think that last year kind of showed some some real cracks for them that's going to make it uh, tough for them to reclimb the ladder in the Central Division? Am I allowed to say both? I I don't know. I mean, I feel like last season was probably a bit of an aberration, but I think the cracks are real. I don't think that those all of a sudden go away. Uh, I, I'm a huge, I'm a huge fan of Miro Haskin, and I, I love in, a, in any team that I, I think has a number one defenseman like that. I just think is always going to be, you know, in good shape. I, I feel like they have some depth. I feel like they've still got, you know, some talent up front. It, it feels like they're like one dynamic guy up front. You know, away from from really, really, really being, you know, a, a Stanley Cup contender like they were a couple of years ago, you know. But again, just to go back to like we were, what we we're talking about with Chicago, I mean, that's a tough division. There's going to be a lot of good teams in in there that Dallas has got to get through. So, I, I mean, I expect them to rebound, but I don't know if that's going to be enough to get them in the playoffs. Maybe that's the best answer. Yeah, it's a bet online actually has them with the. Um third best odds to uh, win the Western Conference. They're tied with Minnesota, which uh, is kind of surprising to me, but uh, at least Bet Online is a very big believer in the Dallas Stars. Uh, speaking of teams that it's not a believer in, and I don't think we are either, 
the Detroit Red Wings, who did what Arizona did on a little bit of a, a smaller scale this year. They did take some hefty contracts on, got back draft picks. Uh, they're still rebuilding as well. But I will say they're kind of getting to the Anaheim uh, zone with me a little bit, Dave. And I don't know what you think about this, where it's kind of at the point where I think the fans need to see some progress here, right? Yeah, I think they're further along in it than Anaheim. I think they're a couple years you know, into the process, you go back in their draft and you look at, you know, even a guy like um, when they acquired the Knights first round pick in 2018, they were able to get Joe Valeno at the end of the first round. And then, you know, some guys like Moritz Sider, goaltender they took this year, Kosa, um, Edmondson, some, you know, they, they've mined Europe. Steve, I mean, basically, I guess my long, short answer to your question is Steve Eisenman. Like, like if if you're trying to figure out is there progress, is there hope, you know, is there optimism? Yeah, Steve Eisenman's running the show. Like everybody in Detroit should feel good about that. And Stevie, why uh, they trust, of course, the GM who built the Tampa Bay Lightning and is the legendary playing career in Detroit and elsewhere. Uh, next up, Edmonton Oilers. Uh, they had Connor McDavid basically just go nuclear last year to win the MVP, but then they were swept in the first round. Uh, had an active offseason, got some new pieces up front like Zach Hyman. Uh, they added Chicago legend Duncan Keith on the back end. Despite the fact that he's 38, uh, they also brought back 39-year-old Mike Smith to be their number one goalie. Uh, I think their offense is going to be amazing, and that might be enough to uh, you know finish in the top three of the Pacific Division, make the playoffs. Uh, my question is, would you have any faith in this team defensively come playoff time, Dave? I mean, I guess structurally, yeah. I mean, I'll give credit to Dave Tippett in that regard. But in terms of personnel, like Mike Smith and some of the guys that they have on defense that you know they're probably going to be relying on, no, not really. Um, it's I think it's going to take a lot of buy-in and a lot of you know work systematically for them to kind of you know paper over some of the uh, the holes that they're going to have back there. And you know, again, they're another team that I just I really wonder goaltending wise if. If there were some things that they could have done differently and been more aggressive to uh, to upgrade. I'm Jeff Gehrman, an investigative reporter with the Las Vegas Review Journal. I'm your guide for season two of Mobbed Up, The Fight for Las Vegas. You're in with every gangster and hoodlum in the United States. I don't go for that, Mr. Kennedy. I don't go for that kind of action. I was on television accused of fronting for the mob. Subscribe to Mobbed Up, The Fight for Las Vegas, Season 2, today on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I feel like we've been saying about uh, that and the Oilers upgrading their goaltending for years, but they don't seem to want to do it. Uh, But now I want to talk about the team that I am excited about their goaltending. That is the Florida Panthers, who had a very nice year last year, uh, made the playoffs, lost to Tampa in the first round. Uh, they added a nice scoring option by getting Sam Reinhardt out of Buffalo. Uh, they just signed Joe Thornton, a uh, veteran, as a nice depth piece. And, of course, uh, they've got American World Juniors here with Spencer Knight coming in uh, after his uh, brief rookie audition to potentially uh, be the number one goalie ahead of uh, Sergei Bobrovsky. Uh, I'm very, actually, excited about this team, Dave, which is something I don't think I've ever said about the Florida Panthers before. Uh, am I over my skis thinking that this team could be a, a real fun watch and a contender in the Eastern Conference? No, I don't think I don't think you are. I mean, I, I kind of like them. I like the moves that they made better than what I like. You know what Carolina did. I mean, I feel like they've upgraded 
you know, better. And then, you know, obviously I think a guy like Spencer Knight, you know, a little bit of a wild card just because he's young, but like, I mean, that, that could be, that could be a difference maker for them. You know, if he all of a sudden comes in and, and has a, you know, I don't know, just first thing that's coming to mind is like Jordan Bennington. You know, if he comes in and has, you know, that sort of effect as a young, you know, rookie goaltender. And I, I understand Bennington was older and it's not the best comparison, but if he can have anything close to that effect with what they've done, you know, to the rest of that lineup. Yeah. Very dangerous team. Yeah. Bet online has them as the uh, sixth favorite to win the Eastern conference and uh, kind of like that action, kind of like those odds. Uh, next up, the Los Angeles Kings, uh, unlike quite a few of the kind of bad teams we've already discussed, the Kings did make some moves this off season to try to power out of their rebuild a little bit. Uh, they added center Philip Deneau from Montreal, traded for uh, winger Victor Arvidsson, uh, signed defenseman Alex Edler. Do you think that's, you know, enough to to boost them into the playoff picture in the Pacific uh, Division, Dave, or the Kings still maybe like a year or so away from kind of rejoining the, uh, you know, playoff contenders in the West? Yeah, I think despite the moves, and, and I certainly think, you know, those are things that, that could help them, improve them. And I don't think they were, you know, real far off last year. Certainly there were points. And, and again, in that Pacific division, it was different. But, you know, they were kind of knocking on the door. They were they were sniffing around that fourth playoff spot. So I don't think they're super far off. But I, I would feel better about, you know, saying they could be a playoff contender and things like that once, you know, a guy like Quentin Byfield really gets there and develops, you know, once they get like, you know, like Kaliev, um, Turcot, you know, some of their other like big prospects that are kind of still in the development stage. Once they get there in a couple of years, you know, then I think you can really start talking about them as a, as a bona fide playoff team. Yeah. Uh, Quentin Byfield, of course, the number two pick in the 2020 draft. Uh, the Kings have one of the best farm systems in the NHL. They still just kind of need to work that into the NHL. Uh, next, Minnesota Wild, uh, who I think were one of the more you know pleasantly surprising teams uh, last season. Uh, they delivered one of the surprises of this offseason by buying out left-wing Zach Parise and defenseman Ryan Suter, who had kind of been like the twin pillars of that franchise for, I believe, nine seasons. Uh, those buyouts mean they weren't like super active, and they're mostly bringing back the same team that gave the Knights a run for their money in the first round. They do have some prospects that could uh, you know rise up to the NHL and change the complexion of that team a little bit. Uh, I mean, Dave, is this a team that you kind of uh, – expect to have the same year uh, last as they did last year or is there any part of you that thinks that the wild because they made such a jump or were at least a little bit in danger of uh, being a flash in the pan a little bit yeah i mean i maybe a little bit in danger of that but i i, I want to give them a little more credit all that being said again it's the same argument with the central division and like you know they were kind of got on a roll and i think caprice off you know really changed the dynamic you know, that, that whole team and, you know, you start playing like San Jose and Arizona, um, you know, some of the bottom end teams in the Pacific division, you can patch record a little bit and all of a sudden they're not going to be able to, to do that this year with this schedule. So, you know, we'll see, you know, a little bit if they were, you know, kind of flat track bully in that regard. Um, but I do feel like they're a good team. And, and what I do want to say is I think Bill Guerin is becoming, very quickly, my new favorite GM. I, I just love his aggressiveness. I love the fact that he's just not afraid to, you know, go ahead and make moves, you know, 
buy out per easy buyout suitor, you know, and say, we're going to do it this way. And, and this is what I believe in. And, and you know, I kind of, I feel like if I was a wild fan, I, I would feel good about where, where Bill Guerin's got this team going. Yeah. He's doing that right now in his negotiations with the uh, Kirill Kaprizov. Uh, they're still working out that contract, but I think there's an expectation that eventually uh, they will figure out that out. Like I said, the, the wild are surprisingly tied for third in terms of, uh, odds to win the Western Conference this year, which seems a little high to me, but who knows? Uh, Montreal Canadiens, they defeated uh, the Knights, of course, in the NHL semifinal last year and then lost to the Tampa Bay Lightning in the Stanley Cup final. Uh, weird, crazy offseason for them. Uh, they lost to as we just mentioned, to the Kings. Uh, they lost Captain Shea Weber to injury for likely the year and uh, possibly uh, for good, uh, depending on what you read or listen to. Uh, they also had a big freakout moment for a little bit there in the offseason because they exposed goaltender Carey Price in the expansion draft, and there was some debate whether Seattle was going to take him. Uh, they did go on a great run last year, obviously. Uh, they also were a team that kind of backed their way into the playoffs and didn't exactly have a very impressive regular season, and now they're back in a division with teams like Boston, Tampa, Florida, uh, Toronto, and more. So is this a team that's going to have staying power as a uh, playoff contender, Dave? Or, you know, was the run last year maybe as good as it's going to get in at least the near term for Montreal? Kind of feels a little bit like the latter. Um, I don't know. Maybe that's discrediting what they did last year. Maybe that's unfair to them. And maybe like a whole season with Dominic Ducharme running that, you know, goofy one, one, three and sitting back and just trying to trap everybody will be effective in the regular season. And maybe they get, you know, you know, crazy year goaltending wise from Carey Price. But I think what was interesting in the playoffs was, you know, sort of people talking about Carey Price not being a good goaltender in the regular season, the last handful of years, and all of a sudden picking it up, you know, that particular postseason. you know, so I still think there's questions. I, I think about last year, you know, they were a team that, that certainly seemed to be, you know, on people's radar as potentially improved and all that. So I don't think it was, you know, totally out of the question or anything that they were, you know, a team that that could make a run last year in the postseason. But it does feel like, you know, they didn't quite do enough. They lost them. Though, that that unless Suzuki caught Kanyemi and, you know, maybe somebody else takes a massive step forward, that that they're a team that's in danger of, uh, of taking a, you know, maybe a step backward. Yeah, definitely. Obviously, like with Suzuki – brings to that team is maybe Knights fans don't want to hear, but Kakanyemi to me is the the question mark. He's a guy that's got to take a big step forward. We're going to talk about the uh, Nashville Predators next. Uh, this is a team that maybe not rebuilding, but it definitely feels like, you know, the word kind of resetting applies. Uh, they traded one of their best defensemen in Ryan Ellis, uh, sent away Ardvidson to Los Angeles. So he couldn't be taken in the expansion draft. Um, they did get some young players back, uh, including former Knight Cody Glass. Uh, they did make the playoffs last year, Dave, but based on kind of what's been happening with them this summer, uh, have they been passed by some other teams uh, in that regard? Yeah, I'll be quick on this. Yeah, I think they're a team, especially, you know, in that central division, all these other teams that we've talked about, you know, e- even with, you know, UC Soros gives them good goaltending, but it, it just feels like their big guys, the people that they put money into, Johansson, Duchesne are just not coming through and it, and that's just going to be the, ultimately their downfall. No, definitely agree. Uh, the New Jersey Devils signed kind of the number one free agent of the offseason in uh, defenseman Dougie Hamilton. 
also reunited the Hughes brothers, which was uh, kind of hilarious. Uh, they took uh, Luke, who was a defenseman, fourth overall this year. Uh, Jack, of course, was the number one pick in 2019. Uh, poor Quinn is in Vancouver, not hanging out with his brothers. Uh, they also added ex-Knight Tomas Tatar as a winger for Jack to play with. Um, I feel like, are they kind of you know in the king zone where I think they got better this year, but I'm still not ready to anoint them as a, as a playoff team yet? Yeah, I mean, it's probably a good descriptor for them. I think maybe the difference between them and the Kings is, you know, the farm systems. And, and I think the optimism for the Kings is based on, you know, having some really high picks and, and those guys coming through where, you know, maybe New Jersey doesn't quite have the same sort of system uh, in that regard. But, yeah, I think, you know, the, the big thing for me is, you know, Jack Hughes, and he's a couple years into this now, uh, should be a little bit bigger, stronger. I uh, have a better, you know, just feel for what's going on in the NHL level. And if he can take, you know, a big step forward, you know, I think that could could change things for them a little bit, too. Uh, the New York Islanders are a weird team to talk about because nothing that they've done is really official because GM Lou Lamarillo just loves his secrecy. Um, but it sounds like they're going to retain a lot of their key for agents. At least that's the expectation. Uh, they'll get Captain Anders Lee back because he didn't play for most of the season uh, because of an injury. Uh, this is a team that was uh, one win away from making the Stanley Cup final last year. They got a little bit closer uh, than they did the previous year when they lost in six in the semis to the Lightning. Uh, any reason to think that that Barry Trotz postseason magic is going to run out, Dave? Or are they basically kind of, you know, in that same zone again this upcoming year? Yeah, I mean, depending on, you know, all those guys, if they're retained and, and who's coming back and everything like that. I mean, they're they're a perfectly built team for Barry Trotz. Like, they're... You know, they have the goaltending, they play defense, they they have enough offense, guys like Barzell. It's, I mean, talk about like, you know, take on the identity of your coach and, and your GM. I mean, within like three or four years, I mean, it, it's amazing how quickly that, you know, that franchise and that organization took everything on. And then, you know, they got a new building this year too. So, you know, there's that to consider. Um, they should be right there. And if they've got any cap space at the deadline, you know, you figure that Lou Lamarillo will be aggressive, maybe bring somebody in. And, you know, I they're a team that I don't think anybody wants to play in the playoffs because of the style that they use. No, definitely not. They're always a tough out. Uh, next up, the New York Rangers, who added uh, two very recognizable names to uh, local hockey fans and Coach Jordan Clant and, of course, right-wing Ryan Reeves. Uh, they also traded away forward Pavel Busnevich, who was uh, pretty good for them. Uh, for the most part, you know, this team, I think, got tougher and grittier, which was like their stated mission of the offseason. But in order to like really, you know, take a step forward and become a playoff team, it just seems like they have a lot of young guys that are going to need um, to really improve this year. Uh, do you think, you know, Gallant is going to be able to put them in a position where, you know, those young guys are going to take the next step and help this team be successful? Yeah, I mean, obviously, like, I don't think we can talk about them without at least mentioning you know, Jack Eichel, and certainly if he, you know, ends up there, that would change the dynamic of them. And, and depending on who's involved in the trade, you would figure some of the young guys, you know, would be centerpieces in that, depending on what Buffalo wants to do. And if they're wanting older guys that they can flip or if they're trying to rebuild through that trade. Uh, but all that being said, you know, one of the reputation, you know, Jarglin developed, you know, in Florida and here in Vegas, and then obviously working with like, you know, junior teams in the, in the queue and world championship teams, what he did with Owen power. He has a reputation for working well with younger players, um, being patient with them, giving them a chance in the lineup, uh, 
helping them develop, knowing when to kind of tighten the leash on them, um, when to, you know, sort of say this is, you know, not acceptable. And then also understanding when to let players play through. So guys like Lafreniere, Kako, you know, Keandre Miller on defense, you know, all these younger guys that, that you're sort of mentioning. I think that's a lot of the reason that Jar Gallant was hired and, and why he, at least hockey wise, you know, should be a good fit for that, for that organization. Yeah, they actually have the third um, best odds to win the Metropolitan Division behind uh, Carolina and the Islanders, which is pretty surprising to me. They're ahead of the Penguins and the Capitals, but uh, maybe that you know reflects the the coaching change. And as you said, you know maybe the books are hedging uh, a little bit, or bet online is hedging a little bit in case they do get Jack Eichel. But they're an intriguing team. Uh, pretty good goaltending too. I mean, Shesterkin is you know a guy who you know he's got some. Some high-end uh, potential. Yeah, a non-intriguing team uh, to me is the Ottawa Senators. I don't have a lot to say about them other than the, they're not a good team. They didn't do a whole lot to change that in the offseason. And uh, like New York, they're relying on young guys getting better, but their young guys are kind of less exciting. Uh, they did show a little bit of fight down the stretch in that North Division last year. So I don't know. Maybe they're going to be kind of run-of-the-mill bad, Dave, instead of just awful. Maybe, maybe that's it. Yeah, I don't know. So I'll try to spin this a little bit into something local here. Half of their farm system seems to play at the University of North Dakota. And I don't think either of us are fans of the University of North Dakota, quite frankly. Nothing against the uh, fighting Hawks. But, uh, you know, we get to see uh, 2022, the uh, North Dakota take on Arizona State out here at T-Mobile Arena. So maybe we'll see a bunch of these uh, Senators prospects we're talking about here. There you go. That'll be exciting. Uh, the Philadelphia Flyers, uh, last year was real rough for them after winning a playoff series the year before. Uh, they responded by making a lot of changes. They uh, got Ellis and defenseman Rasmus Ristolainen for their blue line. Uh, they also got defenseman Keith Yandel after he was bought out. Uh, the biggest question, however, is a 23-year-old goalie Carter Hart, who just quite simply was awful last year after two promising seasons. And... Uh, his only safety net now is ex Sharks goalie Martin Jones, which, as Knights fans kind of know, not really a great safety net. So, uh, do you feel good about this tandem being able to lead the Flyers back into the playoff picture, Dave? It's going to depend a heck of a lot on Carter Hart, right? I mean, like you said, he wasn't very good last year. He's still young. I'm a big believer in him. I I like his potential. I've always liked him as a player. Uh, I, I've I've been a believer that he's sort of the guy if if he lives up to you know his ceiling that could get that franchise over the top. It seems to be just the one thing that they've missing been missing for for the last like decade is just you know a reliable, steady, you know consistent number one goaltender. They've got everything else in place, so you know feels like if if he's able to take that next step, you know they're they're a team two two seasons ago that that going into what turned out to be the pandemic pause, you know, was playing as well as anybody. They're able to get back to that. I don't, you know, again, they're a team that nobody's going to want to see in the playoffs if, if that's the, you know, the Flyers unit that, that gets going. Yeah, they're just a team that feels like they could have done more to kind of overall upgrade that tandem. I feel like you need a better backup than Martin Jones. Uh, but speaking of teams that also could have used it, you know, maybe a change at goaltender, uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, they, of course, return kind of the same core group as always, uh, minus some solid players and Jared McCann, who's a, and Brandon Tanev, who are uh, both uh, Kraken, I believe. Uh, 
Evgeny Malkin did have knee surgery, so he'll probably be out a while. Um, but this team is always a contender. It still, of course, hasn't won a playoff series for three straight years, which is interesting. And Malkin is now 35. Sidney Crosby's 34. And last year when they lost to the Islanders, it basically almost all came down to goaltending. So uh, are you surprised that uh, Tristan Jari is still kind of the, the undisputed number one here, Dave? Yeah, I guess maybe a little. I mean, again, it's a team that maybe could have been aggressive. Like The elephant in the room is obviously like Marc-Andre Fleury and whether they could have or should have gone after him if he was available, which he obviously was, you know, Chicago. So, you know, who knows? Maybe Ron Hextall just didn't feel like that was a good fit or wasn't willing to give up, you know, um, you know, minor leaguer and take on salary cap space. Maybe that's just, I don't know, Pittsburgh's situation in that regard. So maybe it wasn't something that they were able to do. I'd be willing to bet that that's probably a safe bet. If we were to go on cap friendly really quick and, you know, look at their cap space, probably not a whole lot, you know, at that time. So they got like, no, you know, yeah. I mean, I, I guess I, I still feel like he's, he's a solid goaltender. He's fine. It, as much as we blame the goaltending, it just feels like the supporting cast there in the last handful of years just sort of hasn't been up to snuff. You know, when they won the Stanley Cup a couple of years ago, or, or I guess now it's, you know, four or five years ago, you know, you had guys like Phil Kessel and, and these guys on the third line and producing and, and, you know, showing Penguins as a, as a deep team. They just don't feel that way anymore. Speaking of teams that aren't as deep as they were before, the San Jose Sharks, uh, they did add two new goalies in James Reiner and Aiden Hill after years of poor play in net. Also did add a few bottom six forwards, uh, but they have a major question mark when it comes to uh, Evander Kane. Uh, for those of you that are unaware, uh, Kane's wife has alleged on Instagram that he's bet on his own games. Kane, of course, has denied this, and the NHL is doing an independent investigation to see if those claims have any merit. So that's all still kind of, you know, in limbo, being decided, being looked at. Nothing official to kind of report there. Uh, but with you know that in limbo, and obviously the goaltending, you know, being much different. I mean, is the Sharks team any closer to returning to the playoffs, Dave? No, it doesn't feel like it. I mean, unless you know you get bounce back years from like hurdle, you know, if Timo Meyer, you know, finally figures it out and gets back to where he's, it, it, I mean, this, the, the crazy thing is for all of the circus, Evander Kane was, I guess, maybe arguably their best player last year. And if, you know, you're taking all that out or just, you know, distraction that comes with it, it, it just feels like Doug Wilson at this point is trying to do a reset kind of on the fly and, there's too much pride or that, or that that organization just can't, you know, sort of publicly admit it's, it's going through a rebuild. And it's really, that's what it is. I mean, the worst thing that happened to him was making that Eric Carlson trade, to be quite honest. And I think the best thing that ever happened to the Knights was that he ended up in San Jose. Right. Uh, in addition to the Carlson contract, which is very, very onerous, and they have a lot of uh, big money deals for uh, older players who are not producing as well anymore. Uh, Bet Online has the... Sharks is the second highest odds to win the Pacific Division uh, ahead of only Anaheim. Uh, now the Seattle Kraken, we've already Dave already kind of hinted at, uh, they obviously made the most moves of any team, considering they were literally starting from scratch. Um, I think the, some of the crazy things is what they did do though as well, because they didn't make any side deals at the expansion draft. Didn't flip many of like the extra guys that they got in the expansion draft for future assets like draft picks. Uh, they did spend a little in free agency. Just kind of quick overview of their roster. I mean, 
It looks a little thin offensively in terms of goal scoring. Uh, center especially looks pretty rough for them. But I do think they've got a pretty solid blue line and a, and a strong one-two tandem in net because they're the ones that ended up signing Philip Grubauer. They got Chris Drieger um, from Florida. I mean, but my big question, Dave, is what do you think uh, they're going for here? I mean, I would say this is a good knock rate roster. They don't have all the extra assets the Knights kind of accumulated, which took their roster to the next level in, you know, years two through four. Um, but they're also, you know, good enough to compete for a playoff spot. So they're not going to be in, you know, like the top of the draft, potentially. It looks like the next couple of years where they're going to try to get, you know, a top five pick or whatever. It just feels like they're weirdly stuck in the middle already heading into their first year of uh, NHL existence. Yeah. And if that's the case, I think they're that, that could spell trouble. I don't think you want to do that. It, I guess, you know, maybe to answer the question on where they're going for, like, it just feels like they're going for the patient sort of long game. You know, uh, the easiest comparison I can come up with is just the tortoise and the hare. And the knights just absolutely feel like the hare. That this is just a now, 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 go, 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 you know, do it, do it, do it. And Seattle feels more of like the, okay, you know, we had a chance to get some good players and we can, we can be competitive, but it feels like they're going to build it a different way. And they're going to build it more patiently, you know, pick and choose, you know, some players maybe through free agency, you know, build through the draft patiently and, and develop and, you know, try to do it more on the, you know, three to six year plan as opposed to, you know, what the Knights originally were talking about and then and then certainly accelerated. Right. Well, we'll see how uh, they play out. I'm interested to watch uh, them this year and see how good they actually end up being. But we'll move on to the St. Louis Blues. Uh, kind of disappointing season last year and that, you know, they were first in the West in 2020. Then they got swept in the first round this past year. Uh, they did add Busnevich from the Rangers. They got Saad, signed him for, after he was a unrestricted free agent from Colorado. Uh, they do still have a goal scorer Vladimir Tarasenko as well, despite a bunch of trade rumors around him. I mean, is this a team that's poised to kind of rebound? to that top of the West conversation again, Dave, or are they going to settle kind of like they were last year, more in the middle of the pack? Yeah. So I'm going to use a simile that I wrote in a story that didn't get printed. There's something about the blues right now that just smells like a rotten egg salad sandwich in the back of the refrigerator. And I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's just, you know, the inconsistency in net, um, losing Petrangelo and just not getting the same play on the blue line or like up front, you know, not getting the same sort of production from some guys and the, the whole Tarasenko, you know, injury and now, and now trade request, it, it just all feels off. And, and it feels like, you know, especially if there was a team that we're going to look in the central division that, you know, probably has some pretty decent odds. I don't know. You probably, you got them in front of you and you can reel them off here in a second. It, it just, St. Louis feels like the team, if, if we're talking about Chicago has to jump somebody, you know, Minnesota, things like that, it feels like St. Louis is the vulnerable team right now that, that you know, had been finishing up there that could end up out of the playoffs. Yeah, the Blues are tied for, uh, you know, the fourth best odds to win the Central Division. So it goes Colorado, uh, Minnesota, Dallas, then St. Louis is tied with Winnipeg, which seems reasonable, but I agree with you where it just feels like Something's off there, especially if they end up bringing Tarasenko back, and that they definitely could slip. I also have questions about their their goalies. Um, but Tampa Bay Lightning, I have fewer questions about them, given that they have just won back-to-back Stanley Cups. 
but they did have to break up the band a little bit this offseason because of cap constraints. Uh, their entire checking line of Barkley Goodrow, Yanni Gord, and Blake Coleman is gone. Uh, Tyler Johnson's in Chicago. They're going to rely on a bunch of uh, young guys and cheap veterans like uh, Corey Perry and X Knight Pierre Edward Belmar to kind of fill out their bottom six uh, with the you know reshuffling a little bit. Dave, I mean, is there still a chance that the Lightning are going to go for the three peat this year, or is their depth a little bit too concerning for you? Nope, not concerning at all. I think. They're the one team, especially that if they have to mask some forward depth, that they just go 11-7. They did a couple years ago, and certainly they have that capability. So, you know, John Cooper can move some guys around, figure out, you know, ways to get production. But as long as their top-tier guys are healthy, as long as Andre Vasilevsky is in net, they absolutely have a chance to three. Yeah, the the tie-end talent on that roster is just pretty ridiculous, so I don't think you can ever – Count them out. Uh, but speaking of teams that gets counted out a lot, the Toronto Maple Leafs, uh, yet again, Toronto is coming off a stinging playoff disappointment where their top end stars kind of underwhelmed and they didn't have enough depth to make up for that. Uh, once again, this year, they are relying on younger, cheaper guys to fill roles because they had to let a top line player like Zach Hyman walk because their top end guys make enough money where it forces them to kind of go cheaper on the roster elsewhere. Uh, there's only one question when it comes to the Toronto Maple Leafs, Dave. Uh, is this the year? Is this the year that they're going to win a playoff series and actually make noise at all uh, in the postseason? On to the next one. Like, well, I'll be really short. Nope. As long as that core is there, they're not winning squat. That's my opinion. Big apologies to Toronto fans of Vancouver. Uh, the Canucks <laughs> took a real huge step back last year after pushing the Knights to uh, a game seven in the second round in 2020. Uh, they missed the playoffs, responded with just like a fascinating trade with Arizona where they traded away, you know, three depth players on kind of expensive expiring deals. Uh, plus a first round pick got back Connor Garland, who I assume is going to slide into their top six and have a decent sized role for them. And Oliver Ekman Larson, who's been a, uh, Decent defenseman in the past, but right now is on a very expensive long-term contract that doesn't look too good. Uh, between the first-round pick and all the money that Oliver ekman Larson is going to take up on their cap for like years to come, I don't necessarily love what the trade did for their like long-term outlet outlook, but I do think it's going to help them be a lot better this year. So do you think that that's going to be enough of a boost to kind of get them in the Pacific Division playoff picture, Dave? You know, it's hard to say. I just, I don't know. I want to know more about last year with them and what, what what the issue was and why they just seemed to stumble out of the gate and never be able to figure it out. Um, you know, that North Division was, you know, sort of there to be had. They were a team that, you know, pushed the Knights to seven games the year before in the postseason. And you, you know, you figured going into that situation that they were going to be a team that would be in that top four. And, and they really sort of bottomed out. So, you know, until at least contract-wise, they get everything settled with you know Pedersen and Quinn Hughes, and you know you kind of see you know where they're at if they miss any time you know during the start of the season if it affects them in training camp and you know into the regular season, all that sort of stuff like that. You know, I think they're a team that once they get back into the specific that that should improve. I think they could be one of the the teams that contends for a playoff spot there. You know, but I still think they have a lot of question marks and, 
you know, I, I do wonder, I, I like the Garland pickup. I just wonder about Ekman Larson and, you know, whether he's a guy that's going to elevate them the way, you know, maybe some people project. Right. They have the, uh, you know, fifth best odds to win the Pacific division uh, behind actually Calgary, who was in fourth, which is kind of surprising to me. It goes uh, the Knights, Edmonton, Seattle, Calgary, Vancouver. I, I like Vancouver to at least get up to that fourth spot. I don't know if they can climb higher than that. And I don't see uh, four Pacific teams probably making the playoffs next year. But who knows? We'll see. Uh, Washington Capitals, uh, they were involved in one of the more hilarious transactions of the offseason because they lost goaltender Vitek Vanacek to the expansion draft. Uh, Seattle signs Philip Grubauer after thinking like he's probably just going to stay in Colorado. We can't get him. And so then the Kraken call the Capitals back up and be like, hey, we signed an extra goalie that we didn't think we could get. Do you want to just take Vanacek back? And they did. It was amazing. So uh, he's back. Other than that, the Capitals locked up Alex Ovechkin until he was 41, which is crazy and ridiculous. Uh, he's going to chase Wayne Gretzky's goals record. Uh, and other than that, they didn't do a whole lot to a roster that's already the league's oldest and now, of course, is only going to get you know, another year older, basically, across the board. The Capitals uh, weirdly haven't won a playoff series since winning the Cup uh, against the Knights in 2018. And like I just mentioned, no one's getting, you know, uh, younger on that roster. Are we getting to the point where they're going to be staring at a pretty deep drop off pretty soon, Dave? I mean, I still think there's enough talent there, you know, keep them in contention. You know, Peter Lavillette's a good coach. But the biggest question for me is Kuznetsov and just trying to figure out what to do with him and just solving that whole problem. And, you know, if it's a distraction in the locker room or distraction away from the ice and, you know, all those sorts of things, like that's just got to get figured out because he's a key contributor offensively for them. He's a guy that drives some offense and, and plays in that top six. And if he's got, problems behind the scenes and, and whatever it's just going to affect them overall so we've heard about him on the trade block until i think they resolve that situation whether you know it's getting him you know feeling good about being in washington or moving him out that that that's just a team that's going to be sort of spinning its wheels a little bit yeah because that scuff has four years left in his contract and almost eight million dollars per season so that's a very hard deal to move in a flat cap league uh last but certainly not least the Winnipeg Jets, who got swept out of the second round by Montreal after sweeping the Edmonton Oilers in the first round, uh, they finally addressed what has been like the key weak point for them for the last couple of years, and that's on defense. They got Brandon Dillon from Washington, got X Knight Nate Schmidt for from Vancouver. Uh, overall, uh, how high are they on kind of your Central Division pecking order, Dave? After, like I said, kind of taking care of the one obvious uh, black hole on their roster the last couple of years. Pretty high. I don't know if I want to put them in like two. I mean, I have to like really think about it and, you know, like go through it a little closer. But I feel like that's a team that maybe some folks are sleeping on a little bit. I think it was so easy, you know, to pick on the defense and poke holes in them. And and certainly it showed up last year in the in the playoffs a little bit in that, you know, series against Montreal after Shifley went out and, you know, the effect that that had. But you know, they were a team that, that that sneaky, you know, put up a solid record last year. And, and they've got, you know, a, I almost said a Heisman Trophy winning goaltender, a Vezina Trophy winning goaltender. And, Be and really Hellebuck. impressive. 
Yeah, no kidding, right? Well, he did play college hockey, so you know, you never know. Um, oh, it's true, but but yeah, I mean, that, I feel like that's a good team. I feel like you know, especially if uh, if Dubois, you know, was able to take the next step, you know, as a frontline center, that that they've got enough offense, and you know, there's there's some good, uh, you know, there's some good culture up there too. Yeah, they have the uh, fourth best odds to win the Central. I think I already touched on this. They're tied with St. Louis. I certainly kind of like their chances better than the blues and think that they're going to be in that top three mix. We'll, we'll say, uh, in the central, uh, well, that is, uh, you know, around the NHL and definitely more than, than 30 minutes. We did go around the, the entire league outside of the nights, but I think you guys have heard enough of our thoughts on them so far to know kind of where we think they're at. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, you know, throughout the podcast with, Kind of the odds bet online has the Knights as the clear favorite in the Pacific Division, which is definitely no surprise. And it has them as the, uh, you know, second favorite basically to win the West behind the Colorado Avalanche, which I think makes sense as well. And then depending on what you think of, you know, whether Colorado is going to take a step back, you know, next year or not, you can debate that a little bit. But obviously, we're a long, long ways away to see who's going to come out of the Western conference. And there's a lot that's going to happen before we have to figure that out. Uh, but that's going to do it for this edition of the golden edge podcast. As a reminder, we are brought to you by the Las Vegas review journal. We are also presented by blue wire. As I mentioned, check out all our written work at ReviewJournal.com. Dave's top 10 nights prospect list is going to go on the site very soon. And I encourage everyone to uh, read it and, you know, Offer your very angry thoughts about his rankings into his inbox. Um, and of course, if you guys could uh, rate, review, subscribe, whatever you do to the podcast, but due to this one, you know, we didn't have a podcast last week. We might not have one next week because I'm on vacation, but hopefully this, you know, longer episode will tide you guys through it. Uh, I'm Ben Goats. He's Dave Shane. We are the Golden Edge Podcast. I'll talk to you guys again real soon. I'm Jeff Gehrman, an investigative reporter with the Las Vegas Review-Journal. I'm your guide for season two of Mobbed Up, The Fight for Las Vegas. You're in with every gangster and hoodlum in the United States. I don't go for that, Mr. Kennedy. I don't go for that kind of action. I was on television accused of fronting for the mob. Subscribe to Mobbed Up, The Fight for Las Vegas, season two, today on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.